and welcome to the Louisville Cardboard Gamers Podcast. This is our episode zero, and we want to introduce ourselves, talk a little bit about things we've been playing lately in the gaming industry currently, as well as um, our roles in the community. So my name is Travis Schneider. I've been involved with a lot of card games and board game groups in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm hoping to help bring some fun information, fun topics to our podcast here. I'll pass it over to Jason Logan. Yeah, my name is Jason Meadows. Uh, I've been gaming since I was born, and uh, I love board games, and I want to help the community grow and help people. I love teaching people how to play. It's one of my favorite things to do, and I uh, hope this podcast reaches people and helps expand the community. Logan? Yeah, I'm Logan. I'm the old fogey of the group. We're actually born in three different decades, we just figured out, so our gaming experiences will be different as far as growing up. I have been gaming, you know, as long as I can remember, I always played all the classic family games and uh, got into D&D, and that's about it. We've all been pretty involved with our community here. Um, I know, like, Logan was one of the big board game organizers. I've been involved with board game groups and especially um, card game communities outside of Magic the Gathering isn't really my focus, but I've helped organize events, meetup tournaments, that sort of thing for various competitive card games still going to this day, even though the pandemic of the past year has thrown some wrenches into that. And Logan's been extremely involved with our board game group here in Louisville, and he could probably give us more info on that. Uh, yeah, a few years ago, um, well, actually, actually, this is our, in, in June, it will be our 10-year anniversary of when the group yeah. started. Another person started a group based around warhammer invasion it was an lcg from fantasy flight games and once we met and he found out how many games i played he wanted to play them all so we started board game meetups and eventually uh warhammer phased out after it got canceled it just became a pure board gaming group yeah that's uh, i think i've been been with the group one year less than that because i think i joined in in 2012 yeah um, I got kind of directed to you all through somebody from something to do, I think, I believe is how I, how I came across you all on Facebook. Started up this to a small, our small Facebook group and then got connected and kind of just showed up at one of the random events. Probably asked the guy at the counter, hey, I'm here for the Louisville Cardboard Gamers and got directed over to the tables of people just sitting around playing board games. That's how all this kind of started. Yeah, the, the group started on my birthday, actually, I believe. June 6th is the date that it started, I believe. I think I joined a few months after it started, I think, right. and uh, played Warhammer Invasion, which I love the game. It's sad that it got canceled, but uh, I was really afraid and socially, you know, like nervous and stuff around people. And I found that if I kept going to the meetups and like helping and doing the games and stuff, it, it actually helped me be better socially with people. And I enjoyed it, actually. I didn't think I would. <laughs> yeah, really I, surprising. I, I, a couple other people I've talked to, actually, from these our meetups and, and such, they talked about having social anxiety issues until they started really getting involved with the game groups. And like, and I, and I can definitely relate. When you go somewhere to spend time with people who share a lot of your same interests and hobbies, it's really much easier to kind of open up and, and become more involved, even sort of charismatic. I, I know for myself, big time, as I've got more involved with the gaming community, when it comes to teaching games, running events, I, I it's a lot easier for me to go up to people and just talk to people about anything involved with, with gaming. So it's been a great experience for that, at the very least, to yes. um, open up socially. Yeah, I think we all have a variety of gaming experiences in history, whether it's our local community or just in, in our lives. I mean, I've been playing stuff since really probably in high school. I mean, I played you know random board games like we all did when I was a kid, Monopoly and chess and all that sort of stuff. But I think in high school is when I started to expand into more hobby games like collectible cards like, like Magic the Gathering, Yu-Gi-Oh!, then Dungeons & Dragons, the, some of the bigger names within the industry. And it wasn't probably till college, I think in probably 2008 is when I really started breaking into the hobby game stuff because I think Dominion may have been one of my first or earliest board games and you know, hobby games. Um, yeah, you would have been about 20. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, think, I, think it was, I think it was 2008 because I used to watch the Dice Tower reviews all the time when I was in college and just dreamed of having a wall full of board games. And now I've got too many board games. So <laughs> I guess I've succeeded at my goal. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, I started in uh, 90. Well, I started Magic the Gathering when it came out a little afterwards, about 1995. I went to like a random game store and I was just looking around. I'd, I actually never been to one before. I, it was odd, but uh, my dad didn't, they just didn't believe in that kind of stuff or something. So like, I finally went to one. And these people just gave me a bunch of cards and said, here, try this. And I started playing Magic. That was like 95. I had played 
uh, some Dungeons and Dragons, Call of Cthulhu, and my favorite board game at the time was uh, Access and Allies, which is your six-sided die super experience. But uh, I learned uh, there was a whole bunch of other games out there that I didn't know about, and it's been a, a good ride ever since. So that's, I guess, our, just our general history um, as far as moving forward till now. Well, you know, what sort of things do we do we currently play or do we hope to play? It's been difficult with the, over this past couple of years or I guess not a couple of years past the year, really, for the because of the pandemic kind of uh, making it more difficult to meet up with people and play games or, or whatever. But I think we've all found some ways to play stuff. I know I've been able to meet up with a handful of people. Jason's one of them over the past past year to play some board games here and there. My most recent game played was a game I got from Kickstarter, I think a few weeks ago, called Kingdom Rush, Rifts in Time, or something like that, into the subtitle. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, made by Lucky Duck Games. They've actually done quite a few games that are based on app games, oddly enough. While the gameplay itself, of course, is not like the app necessarily, it's their, their IP is based on the app. So Kingdom Rush is a tower defense mobile game. And they've kind of translated some of those concepts of a tower defense to tabletop. Not the first person, of course. There's been quite a few of them at this point. My, my favorite that I played, played the, at least played the most is Castle Panic. It's been out for quite a while now. With Hank and that Castle Panic's had three expansions. The expansions for Castle Panic, while they were added more to the game, it just made it a little bit more messy to keep up with as you're trying to keep up with the mechanics um, of, of all the new additions. But as far as uh, Kingdom Rush, I haven't got to play it a lot, just got to play it a couple times with my wife. It is almost sort of a cooperative puzzle game because while you have things kind of coming in to attack your, your kingdom that you're trying to protect, like a, any tower defense game, your towers are essentially attacks that drop puzzle pieces like Tetris pieces or polyominoes onto the monsters and you have to co- cover up all the monsters on a card to actually destroy the, the card. Each turn you have to kind of like plan out how you think you should best execute laying these cards out for that round as well as for the future rounds of the, as, of the ways of monsters that are going to be coming. Really interesting game. I mean, if you like polyomino puzzler type games with some of that sort of tension that builds up from like a tower defense game, we only played like the intro scenario. So there wasn't as deep as it can get, but you can easily tell as you're looking through the rules and, and the stuff that will unlocked over the course of the scenarios. There's going to be a lot, a lot of depth to it beyond just playing puzzle pieces onto cards. It's pretty neat. Definitely enjoyed it. That's definitely the most recent board game I've played. I'm playing a handful of other things. I know me and Logan are both fans of Aeon's End as far as co-op games go. Me and my wife have played that game a lot, and they keep releasing content for it every year to the point of maybe being too much content. Yeah, you need a whole closet for the whole thing. Yeah, if you keep them all in their boxes, absolutely. Me and my wife played through the most recent expansion was um, Outcasts, which, interestingly enough, each expansion for Aeon's End actually sort of adds on to the story of the previous game. So in this current set, the characters, there's these characters who were literally outcasts of the community that was in the story of Aeon's End. But what makes Aeon's End really interesting is the one sort of unique deck building system where you don't shuffle your deck. So you're actually trying to plan ahead how you purchase your cards for your deck because you're going to see them in a certain sequence, generally speaking, over the course of the entire game. So that's really interesting. You're fighting against different monstrous bosses that affects the gameplay in unique ways each time. So there's a lot of replayability. And they've also added a campaign mode called the Expedition Mode to the game system, which has greatly enhanced the replayability of the game because there's so much now that you add to each scenario that you play based on characters you're playing, monsters you're fighting, and special cards you can add to the game. So yeah, it's it's definitely a, a, one of my top games of all time, top co-ops easily because of how how much content and how many times I've played it. Oh yeah, I love the odds in. Jason, my wife, and myself were trying to do the uh, legacy, and I think we're about halfway through, but life got in the way. Understandable. <laughs> it was very good, though. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah. I think they, like the legacy, I, I enjoyed it, but I think they kind of liked the idea of legacy, but didn't want to keep doing the legacy format of stickers and cards. Tear, tearing, tearing up, up stuff. stuff, putting stickers on things. So on the, the, the following set, New Age, they actually added a expedition mode which is sort of like a campaign every time you play and it doesn't involve any stickers you just unlock new cards and, and that sort of thing they also have you unlock all the content from that expansion through a campaign and then once it's unlocked you can just play it like normal so that was cool like it makes each set more and more replayable 
and, and interesting and out, as well as allows it to add a story to each set that you play through, which is pretty cool. The other things I've been playing really recently has been customizable card games. I haven't really, really been playing Magic as much. Even though a new set is about to come out, so getting together with a couple people to play that tomorrow with a new uh, set launch just for fun, something different. But uh, played been playing Star Wars Destiny a lot again lately. That was one of my favorite games that FFG ended up canceling early last year. I think it was I think it was early last year when they announced it, which we knew it was coming, but. It's just a matter of production issues. They never really knew how to handle it. it. They marketed it as a collectible game, and it shouldn't really have been collectible. But yeah, the game's a lot of fun. It's really easy to pick up and play, but it actually has a lot of strategic depth to it. But yeah, I got together with some people lately to play it, and it's, it's Star Wars themed, so people that are really into Star Wars will probably really enjoy it. Probably find stuff for it nowadays online. I mean, some people sell collections or, or sets of stuff for relatively cheap. It just depends. But there's actually a community of people continuing Star Wars Destiny, just like they did for Netrunner and Warhammer Invasion, Warhammer Conquest, I believe, all had fan expansions. There's a really big community. Star Wars Destiny was a very well-received game, so there's a very passionate community out there. And they have already made two sets that are supposedly play-tested well and everything, too. Two complete sets. They're about to release the second one now, this weekend, I think. And then there's also, around the world, there's other communities in other countries who are also making their own fan sets there's one in hungary actually i think that, that's doing it and they're not just like one or two brand of people making it sets it's an actual organized group of group of people that have their own discord to, to communicate and play tests and everything because people love the game and they just did not want to see it end especially if they're fans of star wars so that's been a lot of fun to keep playing like i, I stopped playing for about a year because of the pandemic really like i was getting together with people almost weekly to play and I just hadn't played, and then just recently got together again with somebody and started playing it again, and I just fell in love all over again. I just, it's such a fun game. Yeah, I actually got to try it for the first time yeah. uh, just the other day with you, and I was really impressed by the uh, the dice action, how you can manipulate the dice and how everything works that way. I, I think that uh, it's sad that they quit making it because I, I never got a chance to enjoy it. Yeah, it's... And I really like the play. Yeah, the more. dice are really unique in it because... I usually like hate dicing games. Like I steer away from uh, games so much. Like we played Undaunted that day for the first time. Been wanting to try that one for a while because that's a really cool deck building system to it. Really simple mechanics for sort of area control. But it all came down to rolling a d10 versus a high number to kill to you know kill off units. And I felt like that's just the whole strategy was based around whether you rolled well or not in the in the end. And it really killed our experience. But then we I taught you Star Wars Destiny afterwards. And it's like, wow, this is a very unique way to use dice. It's really interesting. There's a lot of variety here. And because it's a customizable card game and dueling game, when you use the dice in the game, it's part of it is knowing how to use the dice no matter what you roll. Can you always make use of what you roll in some way? So it was really, really interesting. And there was even like some thoughts that, that FFG may have used that same game system for other IPs, but like kind of like you know Dice Masters did. But nothing ever became of it. Um, I was hoping they would make a non-collectible version of the game, but that seems highly unlikely at this point, especially since FFG has been torn completely apart. It's not even really a secret anymore. Like, anybody who follows the game industry knows that FFG is no longer what it was. Oh, yeah. They've lost so much, so much staff. They were had entire departments ripped out. They were not just mine, but I mean many people's favorite gaming company. And, but I'm looking forward to the X Men, uh, the next X Men game, mm-hmm. and, but not that much. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think it's like everyone kind of had that same reaction. It's like, well, that looks kind of neat, but nothing super unique. And it just kind of was a sign, hey, they have Marvel now, because that's kind of what happened with FFG. They had all these really cool original IPs. That, as, as you said, this, this group started with Warhammer Invasion. While Warhammer itself wasn't an original IP necessarily, it wasn't like a mass market IP. So this whole uh, board game community in Louisville started with the Fantasy Flight LCGs, which was kind of groundbreaking for their time, and you know, expandable card games that weren't collectible because that everybody on the market decided to go collectible and bloated that that part of the industry and it did, just didn't work. And we're actually having a resurgence of collectible games right now, and it's they've been successful. Um, I think we'll have a handful of them succeed, and then a bunch of other will try to follow suit and fall apart like every you know every time because collectible games are just hard to maintain. You have to have, have a dedicated company behind them dedicated community i I think having an online platform helps being able to communicate with people online bring communities together it's much easier now than it ever was to bring together communities 
but still collectible games just involve so much time and money that not everyone can do that. So the LCGs was the answer to that, the people that wanted community-based customizable card games. And then all these cool IPs, like I got started with the group with Netrunner, so that which was an original Cyberpunk IP that they had been working with for years, and a handful of other stuff. Like a lot of the people love the, the Lovecraft, Cthulhu, mm-hmm. Steam stuff that they made. That, that and lately, yeah, yeah, no, I know. <laughs> Hard, hardcore. I mean, and I had played uh, Arkham Horror a few times early on. That was one of my earliest hobby board games was Arkham Horror from them. Ark- Arkham Horror was the game that uh, I was playing games at Gen Con. I was mostly doing role-playing, but every now and then we'd, we'd toss in some uh, board games. And I actually got involved with Munchkin first, but then Arkham Horror was really the game that I played and went, there are games like this? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, the stuff, the stuff of like FFG really did sort of push the limits on the type of games that could work or could exist, I mean, and they still kept doing it. I mean, I, I made a comment a while a while about this with somebody else about KeyForge. Like, even though KeyForge is a customizable car game, they were trying to do something really in, interesting and unique with it. Unfortunately, I feel like they have once again sort of felt failed with it ultimately long term by not really knowing how to handle it, not implementing a, a good online platform for it. But it was something very different. And they are trying to push some of those those things, be very innovative in the industry. They've done. They were some of the, one of the first companies to really push app integration into their board games with Mansion of Madness and the Star Wars, Star Wars. Imperial Assault had an app, I believe, and yep. then Descent, I think, has an app, or they're going to have an app in it Descent. Has an app. Yeah, and Lord of the Rings, and I think they also, I think the XCOM game also has an app, and there may be some more. So they've done a lot of interesting things, but it feels like now, as far as their games that they produce. A lot of more original, unique things are just not what they do. It's all either all around big IPs like Star Wars or and now Marvel, Star Wars especially. It's kind of ridiculous. Or they, you know, they've done their Arkham Horror, Lovecraft themed game still, particularly the Arkham Horror LCG, very, very well received and rightly so. I think it's a fantastic co-op game and one of my favorites, even though I haven't played it nearly enough. But yeah, it's something. Something definitely happened with with that company. A lot of us like to blame Asmodee because we know that they acquired them and then started breaking them apart into different segments recently. They've lost tons of staff. They've had departments moved and removed and entire lines of games moved into different departments and, and whatever. It's kind of crazy. So. Well, I mean, everybody's left. Eric Lang, Lucas, Lucas, Lucas Lessinger, Lucas um, Corey Kaniska. All the people that I knew and loved are gone. Yeah, well, during the card game life, I mean, a lot of those designers I remember from when I was playing Netrunner and then Star Wars Destiny, like Lucy Lessinger, he did uh, Netrunner, or at least early on, he did Netrunner, then he did Star Wars Destiny, and he left during Star Wars Destiny. And he actually ended up with Wizards of the Coast, which is really funny. Right as the Transformers trading card game came out, which unfortunately canceled, for those that were fans of it. But not sure what he's involved in now, but he was very heavily involved with a lot of the card games at FFG. There's been other designers that have left. More recently, Brad Andrews, who was one of the, the four front designers for Keyford, and worked closely with Richard Garfield, as far as I know, he left probably on his, I'm guessing, his, because of his own interests or whatever. And he recently ended up with Mondo Games, which does Unmatched, and then they do a few other things, just kind of random, almost like indie games, kind of unique games. But they have really amazing art in all their games because they are almost sort of an art studio, I think. So I have some other things from them. I mean, yeah, a lot of people just disappeared from there, and who knows if people will stick around because it sounds like so many things are being changed around over at FFG. So I, another group I follow, the guys at Team Covenant, I think they go by Covenant now in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that really focus a lot on customizable card games. They had a whole podcast episode about, about Fantasy Flight Games, I think was the, pretty much the, the whole topic because we may not even be safer or secure with their job anymore because there's been so much movement and loss of jobs there. So who knows? Really hard to say. It's, it's kind of sad because, like, like you said, we've all have some favorite games that that company made. Some of our probably favorite games of all time that they produced. But yeah, so you know, end of that rant. Um, I'm, I'm sure y'all have played some other board games or card games recently in the past few months. Even if you played them online, Any, anything of interest or fun? Yeah, not a lot. I've uh, I work at UPS, so a lot of my gaming, can, especially during December, is in app form. And a lot of Star Realms and Ascension and Carcassonne with the guy I work with. And uh, finally, once Christmas was over, I was able to play some of my new game that we got. One of those was Marvel Splendor. I played Splendor years ago, and I, I'm just not as enamored with it as most people are. I mean, I know it's a very popular game. It's a good gateway game. 
but I figured with Marvel Splendor, I could at least get into the, the pictures because, you know, it's the theme's basically tacked on. It's not, you know, you're not going to feel like you're playing a superhero game. But, you know, I think most people have played Splendor. You just, you you can either recruit, you can either take, acquire a, on your turn, you can pick up tokens and those tokens are resources to gain cards. And then as you gain more cards, you'll have more and more resources. And that's basically how the game flows. And yeah, I did enjoy it more being able to look at the pictures as opposed to the medieval theme that the original Splendor has. So that would be a nice, you know, I told my wife, I said, I wanted something that we could get that we don't really have to think about. Oh, what were the rules again? <laughs> you know, the next time we pick it up, a real good feeler. And the other game, uh, Travis has probably played it. I know, I think we acquired it together on Kickstarter. And uh, I got it for my wife, so I wasn't able to play it until I gave it to her for Christmas because she actually requested it. And that is On the Origin of Species, which is a game you would assume is based around Charles Darwin and his explorations into the Galapagos Islands. Basically, the a map of the Galapagos Islands, and you have a path that the beagle follows, and there are cards out that you can score points with. And on a player's turn, you put just your cubes on different tiles on the board and you gain uh, resources that represent habitats or you can acquire the tiles yourself with the resources you've gathered and it's just basically you know whoever has the most points wins but it's a it's a real good theme and it's interesting and see how the cards come out and uh, you can actually learn something <laughs> oh yeah yeah i, I got to play that one with katie i've been wanting to try it again though because i enjoyed it and it's actually a really simple game system yeah kind of looks like it's, it's more going on but it's really not that bad and it's got nice illustrated art and the theme is fun it's not not super thematic i think it's really more of a almost like a set collecting game of sorts kind of mixed with a little bit of racing and set collecting and pattern building maybe if i recall but it was cool i liked it and there's actually there was just recently another charles darwin themed game on kickstarter from uh, thunder Grip, i yeah. believe um that looked really pretty like their games i've, I've played quite a, f- a few of their games more recently and there are absolutely gorgeous games as far as the art components go so i'm i ended up like backing it last minute because i enjoyed both of the previous games i had from them and i really like that theme so i figured i'd give it a shot i've played not a whole lot of things the pandemic has really stunted game playing uh, for the most part especially our group meetups but I, um, like a few months ago i played with logan we played star wars imperial assault which is yeah. really awesome been on my list of playing for years yeah, and we and you and I played uh, Travis. Oh yeah, yeah, that was months ago. Yeah, not too long that. ago, and that was yep. a lot of fun. That was a I game I was very, that too. Like, way more impressed with than I expected to be. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a great game, and Cartographers. That's another one that we played a lot of, like several months ago. It's been, but it's, yep. it's yep. been yeah, really it's popular. Amazing group game. Oh, it's amazing. Yes, wonderful game, and I played uh, like a few other games, and I think we're going to talk about some of them anyway later. So I won't spend time on it but uh well, yeah, Logan, Jason, you have anything I else? just played a game before the podcast the masters of mutant night yes it's on kickstarter right now unfortunately by the time this releases i think the kickstarter ends tomorrow so i don't know if they'll have late backing or not if you'd be interested in it it's from knapsack games and designed by andrew mm-hmm. Feederspiel with art by marvin Domundo and adam pavenheim it's a pretty simple skirmish game you're just mutants and they have a board that's randomly set up based on the number of players and you just run around the board, and they have little standees for both the characters, and they have trucks, and they have ice cream trucks that you can put people in and give them frost cards, which hinder their movement, plus damage them, and, and trees, and you can just throw all kinds of stuff and start fires, and you run around the board, and you can collect cards that give you your powers, and for every empty space on the board where there's not a card, you collect Mutant Knight, you can spend that Mutant Knight to gain traits for your character. It was kind of fun. I, th- I think it probably shined more at three or four players because just Jason and I beating each other up. Yeah, three or four what players. It, would what be was good. called again? Masters of Mutant Knight, and, and players are just mutants, I guess. Uh, it doesn't really. I don't think it really says whether you're heroes or villains, but you're just running around the city, attacking each other and trying to gain resources. And that's basically it. You, you eliminate your opponents, and it's the end of the game. Whoever last person standing wins. I think one thing you said you just thought was not as the best thing was that uh, you you could start with certain traits, well, but then you just got random ones. Well, they're face up on the board. Yeah, essentially, you can choose what cards you acquire, and you draw the top three traits every time you mutate, uh, and you get to choose one. Say Jason has Firestar, and so she's obviously flames, but she can choose to get frost powers or 
telepathy and it's just uh, thematically it just doesn't really stand but it was kind of a fun little skirmish game kind of like king of tokyo without dice <laughs> okay that's kind of interesting i'm looking it up now yeah i like that yeah, it was I don't fun. Have, it affects the cost but it doesn't use miniatures here the miniatures in right uh, they yeah. all start aimed to me because they're yeah. all gray boring miniatures <laughs> and they also inflate the costs to like you know <laughs> ridiculous levels it's unnecessary so exactly one last game I think I've played recently I like to bring up because it's kind of getting a lot of buzz still within the industry and I actually enjoy it quite a bit is it's a wonderful world it's a drafting game it's more similar to Seven Wonders is how I've heard it compared to uh, actually when I played it with Josh Cabalas he said some of the mechanics reminded him of Splendor as far as maybe the resource generating. The theme is sort of a futuristic city in, in, in industries, but the theme is, is largely kind of pasted on like a lot of these abstract resource generating games. But it's, it's kind of cool because what you're doing is when you draft is you're creating an engine to generate your resources to allow you then to play uh, other cards or get other b- bonus points or score effects. So planning ahead and, and trying to set up your, your sequences is, is really the strategy of the game and it gets really interesting I, I think trying to put together that engine and it actually has really great art even though it doesn't really necessarily need it the art is fantastic and each card in the game is uh, your large tarot size cards like Seven Wonders rather than just a normal standard card I played it with Jason and Katie as well we did the, the first couple scenarios for the campaign mode of the game which was kind of interesting because you, you unlock a couple of maybe new things to do in each each scenario nothing too complex but I, I still enjoy it I'm not sure like everyone will love it because of its abstract nature, but if you like engine building, resource managing games, I think it's something some people would like. It's also really fast. You can knock out a game of this in probably half an hour if everyone knows how to play. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I'd like to play it again. Uh, it's a simple but satisfying yeah. game. I thought Especially it was when you see your engine come together and you're like, oh, wow, I can do anything I want now. Now that I've successfully created this system by the last, you know, last round of the game, this is cool. Like I, Drafting is probably... If not my favorite, one of my favorite mechanics in board games and card games, because it allows you to sort of build your own system while also kind of manipulating your opponent's systems uh, during the game. When I play Magic the Gathering, I'm not, even though I'm not the biggest fan of that as, I, as much as I used to be, I will still draft that game all day long. I, I, I um, love what drafting adds to games. It's really, really interesting. We're seeing more and more board games using drafting mechanics, whether it's face-up drafting, you know, blind drafting, because of the unique aspect that it adds to those games. That's one of the most recent things I've actually played quite a few times that been out for, I guess now, at least a year. And they had a small expansion just recently as well. But, but yeah, I thought I'd toss that one out there. 2019 um, from Le Bois de Jou. Yeah, yeah, I never <laughs> remember how to, how to pronounce it. Like, I kick-started the, the base game and expansion for it. I actually have some other games by them. Like, what's one thing I love about that company? And it's something I like to keep on, on an eye on on Kickstarter are for these foreign companies that I may not see some of their stuff as often around the U.S. or people or a lot of my friends may not think to pick these games up because they made a game some years ago that may have been 2017, a game called Outlive. It's, it, the theme is sort of a post-apocalyptic theme. It was 2017. Uh, post-apocalyptic theme where you're building a bunker and you also have to go out into this sort of torn up world to gather resources find equipment hunt, hunt animals but it's oh, got yeah. unique sort of I don't know if rondelle is the right word but you're in a circular system for your workers but your workers have different number values of going ranging from three to five which kind of dictates how much of a resource you can gain as well as if you go into a space that another player is in you sort of beat them up to take their resources it's, it's not something you see very often in a worker placement game where <laughs> <laughs> your workers are basically gangs beating each other up, take stuff from them. It's very thematic. It's one of the most thematic worker placement resource management games I've ever played, and it's one of my favorites, even though it doesn't nearly get a lot of buzz, and I think it's out of print at this point, because so I looked up some of the stuff. They made an expansion for it that I completely missed that added an aquatic environment to the game, and they have another game coming out soon called Damio that is set in a futuristic world where it's it's interesting. It's not actually Japanese culture. Instead, the people of the future are looking back at samurai and Japanese culture in their own eyes. So it's just this kind of unique mm. depiction of it, as if like someone looked at it as like legendary and, and sort of an influence of their own culture. And that was like a dice drafting game, I believe. And it looked really interesting. Yeah, this is definitely a company I like to keep an eye on because they do some unique stuff. They always have really good art and components in their games. 
yeah, their most recent one, It's a Wonderful World, is definitely getting a lot of buzz, too. But yeah, that's probably the most, other than card games, most recent played board games that I've been keeping up with. So as far mm. as games that we regularly play, just to give people an idea of uh, what our preferred games are and how our tastes run, uh, just, you know, let's take the pandemic out of the equation. What do we like to play when we have the opportunity? Um, my wife is a gamer. Um, it's part of the reason I, no, part of the reason I married her, but, uh, you know, it definitely kept my interest going until I decided I was going to marry her. <laughs> But uh, she is a gamer, so she plays games with me. We love Legendary. Um, I'll play a Marvel Legendary just about any time. Um, we also love Arkham Horror, as I've stated before. Cthulhu Wars. Um, I hardly ever get it to the table, but uh, I will certainly play that. It's pretty much regular games. Any Lovecraft-themed games you're likely to probably own or play? There's <laughs> a, a good chance. I've, got, I've gotten pickier as you know, the years <laughs> have gone. But, uh, yeah, especially as that theme has been a little overused. I'm sure there's yeah. some really bad ones out there oh, now. There are, there are absolutely some bad ones. <laughs> so how about you, Jason? When you can play just about anything you want, what do you like to choose? One of my all-time favorites is Tyrants of the Underdark. And uh, I'd really like to plug somebody yeah. out there, please make an expansion. But yeah, that would be great. But I think there's fan-made ones. I want to look into that. Uh, but that's one of my all-time favorites. I love it. It's like the best of, you know, yeah. board does, and deck builder. Fixes a lot of the issues. That I think I have control. With risk, and it kind of feels like risk. It, but it's a playtime. So yeah, it's it's a it's just a brilliant game. Um, and I've been playing. I've been showing someone how to play Magic lately. I enjoy Magic still. I don't play it a ton, but I do enjoy messing around with it every now and then. Uh, I also play at Magic Arena online when I can. It's 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 pretty neat what they're doing with it. I thought it's pretty well done. And uh and I wish I could play uh you Scythe know and Terraforming Mars. Um Scythe and Terraforming Mars, sorry. Yeah. Terraforming Those wingspan is kinda Mars, neat. I but I've heard of that one. I kinda get overwhelmed yeah, really with five players. Yeah. As far as I know that was kind of under the radar. <laughs> Yeah, it's not that it's not it's a really uh, niche game that, yeah indie game no one's really heard of yeah. that lately uh, quite a bit of stuff as far as like styles of games i if i got the person to play something with i'll play just about any type of game my most popular game style though is probably customizable card games i don't know if it's because of the ability to get creative with the deck building and the experiences you create when you meet with people there's something really interesting about the way communities are built around customizable card games. And that could be a whole topic of a, of a podcast episode is just talking about customizable card games, communities and how they kind of create each other. Yeah. Um, and as being a community organizer, that's just so important to me. But yeah, when it comes to board games though, I find myself really enjoying games that either have drafting mechanics, like I mentioned, really enjoy games where you build stuff like, Kyle Lang, one of my favorites. I have not played in a long time is Suburbia. Uh, I played Castles of Mad King Ludwig once, enjoyed it, and I'm going to back the newest version since I don't have much of the old one. Anyways, I, I grew up playing with Legos like nonstop and connects. So board games where you build things is just a natural extension of that, and I really, really like that sort of stuff. So if I had that opportunity to really get together and play whatever I wanted, it's likely I'll want to play some sort of Kyle Lang or you know city building whatever whatever the theme is type of game so yeah that's my most regularly played games are definitely those those type of things for sure what about like uh games you know online that we can play like because the pandemic has really limited oh, our sure. ability to get yeah, together and, and people have actually uh, what do you think between tabletop simulator which i think the sales for tabletop simulator probably skyrocketed over the past year uh, and tabletopia yeah <laughs> yeah because not only are people getting together to play tabletopia. games for just like that they with their friends through tts tabletop simulator a lot of game companies are using them to test out games yes. because this can't have in-person play testing right now so yeah like t- tabletop simulator i've only used a little bit i found it kind of fiddly so i, I just i i get hesitant to mess with it but i know if i would i would just get used to the system and just right. move on and uh, i just haven't got around to it yeah so. in fact jason and i the, the reason I asked him to play is not only because I like playing with him, I want to start doing more regularly, but I wanted to play test the Masters of Mutant Knight to see if I actually wanted to back it. And I'm not going to back it. I, I'll gladly play it, but I don't think I want to pay the money for it. I might change my mind in a day, but who knows? But yeah, there's a lot of games like that. that ooh, I can play test them before <laughs> I actually 
yeah. put the money down. <laughs> and, and it's become more common over this past year. Like more companies are doing that, whether it's, it's for actual literal playtesting or it's just to, hey, you want to try this game out before you buy it on Kickstarter or whatever. I've seen a lot of that um, with TTS especially, but Tabletopia I know has been on the list. Someone mentioned to me Board Game Arena, Arena for playing stuff online. I haven't tried that. Yep. I just don't do a lot of online yes. board gaming. Like if, if I'm going <clears> to <throat> sit at home playing video games or watching TV shows or movies or listening to music, like yeah. I tend to get involved in a lot of other <laughs> other forms of entertainment and media as well. Yeah, I'm, but, I'm very tactile, so I really just like having a board game in front of me. But sure, uh, sure, yeah. I would like to mention though that board oh, game arena is a good alternative. Um, she, she was ranked and can't stop. <laughs> yeah, can't stop. <laughs> and there's also there's also Yukata. That's amazing. I've only played mostly uh, Seven uh, Wonders uh, and uh, Rolling Galaxy, which are great games. Okay. Board game arena, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, and there, and I've really gotten into Seven Wonders because yeah. you can play it online and it does all the calculations for you. Right. If you don't know math very well or whatever, because when you play Seven Wonders on, on a tabletop, it's like a math lesson, like because sure. stuff Probably is changing every time or a few minutes, and, uh, and there's a lot going on. Oh, it speeds it. It's like it, that speed yeah. that you can go out on board game arena is just amazing. It's yeah, uh, I, you really I get into it. Experience when so I used to play. I do recommend that Android Minion, the unofficial Dominion app yeah. years ago. Oh, yeah. That was I have, so basic. I still I had. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't, my new I don't have it anymore because of my new phone. But really, uh, well, yeah, I don't, I don't unless it's unless it's still available somewhere to download. Yeah, I mean, um, I still have it. I've gotten two phones since I first got it, and it's not oh, but they don't update it anymore. No, they right? don't they just stop yeah. it. Dark, dark Ages, I, yeah, think, I think, or something. I think dark Ages is the last one. Um, but I had like thousands of games played because I could just sit there yep. and, and knock out a game in <laughs> no time at all. Yep. And, and it really does speed up deck builders too because all the shuffling and yep. moving things around. So that does help. Like some of the digital versions of games can go quite quickly because of it autom- automating some stuff. So it's definitely something I should look more into. I just haven't got around to it. I, I for some reason I just sometimes get hesitant getting online to play with people, especially people I don't know. I just kind of got to get past that, especially right now. The pandemic isn't going to be any any ending anytime soon. No. So getting together with a lot of people. I just I just wonder how. I really don't know how the pandemic is. I know it's affected people getting together as much as they used to, but I don't know how it's affected the industry. I mean, I think the industry's doing pretty well. If anything, maybe people are buying more games. <laughs> yeah, I think from my understanding, first off, it made them have to sort of rethink how they could do their playtesting and design because people are getting together in person. Because I'm, I'm actually involved with a lot of different game company, like discords and stuff. And I was signed up to play test a bunch of different things. I just almost never get, like, I signed up for them, and I barely ever, right. if at all, play them. Uh, I really want to. It's just time-consuming and, and and also breaking past that initial point of getting online on some server to play it. That was the first thing they had to do was really rethink how they could do that. The other thing, though, is it's delayed an absurd amount of games from production. Productions have been delayed all over the world for every company. One that you all probably wouldn't know as much about that I've been seeing happening is a lot of card games, uh, collectible card games like Magic and Yu-Gi-Oh! Pokemon. I don't know if Magic was hit quite as badly because I think they may produce some of their product in America. I'm not sure. But I think somehow, since all these card game companies are going to be using the same factories or production lines, they've all been backed up. So where some game stores don't even have product for like the, the biggest games in the world right now because of that. And then Bandai... Who does you know some really big anime uh, products and games and whatnot? Whatnot. They just released in America. They released in November. They did. Oh, well, it's technically, it's a pre-release of the Digimon trading card game, the English version of it, which came out in Japan in January of last year. It came out, and they only was able to get out a small amount of product ultimately around the world for the English release, and that got bought up quickly and unfortunately there was also scalpers involved so people were taking a hundred dollar booster box and flipping it for a couple hundred or more online or trying to at least so you have you have that that whole issue with inflated products or prices rather and that's something that's happening right now with not, probably not just this game but other games where production is limited so people are trying to you know jack prices up on stuff but yeah that game was supposed to have come out this past past month the official full release was supposed to come out in january it got pushed into February, and then tons of other games that I was expecting to see 
we all were looking forward to the Vampire Masquerade expandable card game that Renegade Game Studios are doing. It got pushed multiple times. I, I knew the December release was way too <laughs> way too optimistic to begin with. No company gets their games out that quickly from Kickstarter right. um, in a few months. But, I mean, I think they thought that they had a lot of stuff already kind of figured out, but during the Kickstarter campaign, they realized through a lot of conversations, people weren't going to let them just slide by with like some mediocre graphic design and stuff. We are all being really pushy about it because we want to see the game succeed and we want it to be, be the best game both gameplay and in the looks of it that it could be. I still think there's more they could do with it, but whatever, that's a moot point. We'll see what it looks like on the table. But yeah, that game got pushed for quite a few months. The Ashes Reborn you know, release was supposed to come out, I think, in November, if I recall. At least the update pack was. That got pushed again. I thought it was supposed to be in January, but it hasn't. And then I just got our update again for, about the Vampire game that... I think it was Vampire game, the, the email I saw today. I get kickstarting the whole time and everything has been delayed and not only has COVID pushed things back now it's being pushed back into the Chinese New Year which everybody in the board game industry knows stops almost everything from happening it's, at this point we can just kind of hope that things are coming but not actually expect any real timeline <laughs> other than maybe this year sometime and of course the probably the biggest impact was no conventions I mean no origins, oh, no, no Gen Con yeah. no uh, well Spiel I said Origins Oh, Origins. No packs, nothing. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and that's, that's yeah. how a lot of smaller companies, they rent booths to get their name out. And yep. it just didn't happen. Yeah, it, it, it affected that. I mean, not, not only the game industry itself, of course, but those cities, they've had hundreds and hundreds of businesses closed down because they've lost. Like, and I, I, we're talking about an absurd amount of money. Uh, that's This is actually something that somebody... Uh, my favorite cast, the guy, I'll mention them again, the Covenant Covenant guys out of Oklahoma. Time last year, they did a whole episode about about this because they were talking about some convention that was supposed to be in Texas, I think. But basically, we're talking millions of dollars lost in that city alone from this one convention not taking place. I mean, Gen Con is known to be one of the biggest, it's the second biggest gaming convention in the world. Right. And probably one of the biggest if not the biggest convention in Indianapolis, I'm sure it is. It probably has to be has to be the biggest convention in Indianapolis. By not having that there, and on top of all the other conventions they normally have, millions of dollars were lost last year, but to all the businesses in that city. So it's 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 sad, and there's not really any other way to to make that up either. Like that's something people aren't going to see, at, and, and there's nothing we can do about it either. It's, it's just the hope is that once things start to stabilize. We can kind of reboot and start getting things going in the right direction again. Yep. And hopefully some of the businesses can either come back or at least if they did not have to close down, hopefully they can stabilize and start prospering again. I think we're going to start seeing things moving more positively here soon. But it's just like, I know, all our local game stores are most, at least, excuse me, I say all of them, but I say all but maybe two aren't having any sort of in-person events whatsoever. And even the ones that are doing any sort of in-persons are, are having to limit attendance to things or they can't run official events if they wanted to, wanted to run anything at all. I, I'm actually really surprised that none of our game shops here locally closed down during this. But fortunately, I think they all were able to stay open and keep selling product regardless, or they were able to innovate and do something maybe a little different to stick around to combat the loss of income. Because all these game stores, like a, lot, a lot of their income is that play space and running events. Do you believe that uh, the COVID, when it gets better, there's going to be less places to play, like less game stores going to be willing to to do uh, in-person um, gaming? I think when vaccines are more widely available, I, I, I'm pretty, pretty sure that people will be more well, okay with running stuff again. Yeah. And then once once the numbers are really dropping off and it's no longer the highlight of the news, just like anything else, I think people will start feeling more comfortable with just getting back out there and game stores will be more comfortable having people in their stores, like in groups and stuff. I do hope that maybe people have learned a, a bit more about hygiene, you know, and, and being healthier. Well, I noticed that uh, Cardinal Gaming Store, they have taken all their tables up. They've, they're using the space for other things. And I guess it just makes sense right now. I, just, I was just curious if, is it going to be permanent? You know, like, are they thinking, yeah. well, we can't make money? I highly doubt that. I mean, because I, I, I like, don't know these different stores' models. But if they're a game store that that focuses more on events, which you know some of these stores do, like we all know the stores that are kind of smaller or just don't have a lot of play space, so they focus on 
selling product and they usually they sell other things besides just games but the, the big stores that have a lot of play area and maybe doesn't carry a large variety of games all their you know income is really coming from those events they're running getting hundreds of people in the stores every week um i think they're likely to return mm-hmm. to that because they'll just have to it's either that or they have to completely change their business model and do something different it all depends on i guess uh, ultimately I what brings so. in <laughs> the most money or what they or what they're happy doing yeah, I'm hoping that Louisville Cardboard Gamers will be able to re- kind of recover and do a starter meetup soon. You know, that's something that I really miss. Besides the conventions and all that stuff, you know, I miss the the yeah. monthly meetups. They were a lot of fun, and, you know, you got to socialize yeah. with people. It's something we don't get to do a whole lot here lately. It seems yeah, to be absolutely. stunted a bit. You're trying to organize anything. Now that we're all down and depressed about, you know... <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the future, what are we looking forward to do with this podcast? I don't know, besides our own personal opinions, I don't know if there's anything original anymore out there. <laughs> I think originality is sort of based on just the evolution of things that exist. I mean, we're, we're building upon stuff. And in this case, it's just about you know getting our, our own thoughts out there. Maybe we say something new, maybe we don't, but maybe someone will listen to us and they didn't listen to somebody else and they learned something. Yeah. <laughs> Because I hear some interesting conversations on podcasts I've listened to that are, I think are really, really interesting or really important conversations for that matter that are topics that no one ever considered. So I think stuff just you know, naturally comes up. I, I think for this podcast, we focus on two things. We focus on, you know, of course, our own experiences with the game industry, whether it's stuff we're playing or the trends we're seeing. And then I think we also involve our local community and talk about local events, maybe interview people that are involved with this stuff or what they've been playing, um, that sort of thing. I mean, it, it, even if we use it as sort of a platform to advertise these events or advertise what's going on and or what sort of things maybe people, people may be interested in could allow us to continue building upon the Louisville Carper Gamers group or, you know, even removing that Louisville name out of there and the cardboard gamers <laughs> general, I mean. yeah we always had always had a dream of having uh, what do they call them we of having expansions i guess you know for other cities or online like, I mean, like we, that, we had a group that uh, a couple people that were coming one time they were from more southern in kentucky and they said they were going to start their own gaming thing and i said oh yeah you could call it cardboard gamers south and they went with their own name but you know <laughs> yeah, it's like that's actually kind of where I my name that I, for the stuff I run because I, I I mean I it's not really an established thing of any at the moment but it's kind of a hope if I really pursue the organizing and community building stuff the cardboard duelist because since I focus so much on card games and it's kind of its own niche within this cardboard gamer group because you know there's a lot of people that like playing board games that just have no interest at all in these two player customizable car games or competitive games or what have you. So I kind of built it off of that. So it was sort of an extension of the cardboard gamers. Like, here are these guys. People like to play two-player games a lot. <laughs> and two-player card games and competitive games. I mean, especially with the internet and having access to various social media platforms, Discord, that sort of stuff. You can really can expand way beyond your own place. If we ever got in, like, not, not us in particular, but anyone local got involved in streaming with writing blogs. I mean, there's ways to really expand yeah. our community way beyond our own city. It's just really, it's a matter of people that are, are passionate enough about the hobby and industry that really want to put the time into, into that sort of thing. Oh, yeah, I was, I was trying um, to write a blog for a while. It's actually very hard. If you have a, yes. blog, if you have a blog that you appreciate, really thank that person because it is more work than you think. And, yeah, but, you know, I had people contact me. They're like, "Wow, I never heard of this game. Thank you for letting me know about it." You know, and they're for, they're in California, so yeah, exactly. exactly. You never know. We had uh, when I was running stuff for KeyForge. This isn't this about the, the point of the blog, but as as far as online platforms, when I was running an event for KeyForge, I used to post a list of all of our weekly events on the Reddit KeyForge group, not just our local one, but the general one, almost every week. Somebody came here was visiting. For, for like a, a work trip from California and they showed up at our Keyforge event because they saw my post. Huh. Like that's crazy. <laughs> that's awesome. And that and that actually ended up because his his Uber driver used to play magic. So he decided to, to, to hang out and just watch and he ended up getting into Keyforge and became a regular. And he ended up I think he won a regional somewhere around here. But yeah, like it was just funny, like 
putting that stuff out there does work. I mean, even though that's a small example, it's just and it it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of work to do it, but it does. It, it doing that sort of stuff help keeps keeps the communities growing and keeps people together, and you can even reach way out past your own you know city limits by doing that sort of stuff. But again, it takes some passionate people to do that. Like that's some I've, I've seen with a lot of different games that come out, especially games that are based around communities, like these competitive games. They're, all competitive games are based around strong communities. And if you don't have anybody locally who's really willing to put in the effort to organize events and advertise those events, those games just won't last. And it's just the way it is. So it's, it's, it's work, but it can definitely be rewarding and can lead to something big if you keep pushing into it. So, yeah, I think, I think these are all things that something, you know, whether it's our podcast or our local group that we kind of want to work towards, whether it's ourselves or people that kind of get, that want to get involved. So yeah, I just yeah. I hope, you know, that we can entertain some people and people want to hear us again and we can keep this going, you know, hang with us. Yeah. Oh, we got to practice and get our groove going. This is our first attempt. I'm, I don't know if anyone here has a lot of experience with podcasting or anything like that. I've done it a couple of times with some people and that's about it. <laughs> I, used to, I used to act, but that was 30, 40 years ago. So I like to sing in the shower. Well, I don't know if that helps a lot. We'll have to record yeah. it sometime. Yeah, you can be our <laughs> intro interactor. I'm going to sing the intro for you. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. You know, this is our our first episode. You know, of our episode zero, as we just kind of set ourselves up here and let you all know who we are, and hopefully, we are tolerable. <laughs> People do want to find us. Uh, we are on. Facebook, uh, Louisville Cardboard Gamers. Um, if we can include a link under the podcast itself, we will do so. I'm sure you can search for Louisville Cardboard Gamers and you'll find us. Yeah. Uh, Travis runs our Discord channel. Not super active, but it's definitely there. It's It's been a great resource whenever people do want to use it because it allows us to really break up the conversations and talk about specific topics. So yeah, we have, we have a Discord set up for that. And then if you're really interested in competitive card gaming, you, you still should join like a little cardboard gamers as that extension of our community but the cardboard duelist group is where all our the big card gaming whether it's living card games or even some non-mainstream customized card games you know so i, I don't really you know organize stuff for magic the gathering and pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh. those that's already handled the game store has got that covered but anything else you may want to play that doesn't get covered that's where that other group steps in because a lot of us love these other games but they just don't get the recognition so cash is yeah. Oh, yeah. Ashes is gonna be gonna be hot again. I hope, and I think we got a lot of people that really want to give it a go. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Feel free to join our group, either one of those groups, and look for uh, I'm Jason Meadows. You can you can message me if you have any questions or you have the topics you'd like us to talk about. I'm sure Travis and Logan would like to hear from you too. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking. I don't know if we. I don't know if I identified myself earlier, but I'm Logan. Yeah, I'm Travis Schneider. You'll see me. On Facebook and on um, Instagram and Discord, because I have like the Carbodulas is on Instagram as well, just a sort of a posting of up to date events and, and games I've been playing, sort of thing. Yeah, awesome. So, thank you for listening. We will see you next time. I hope hope you stay with us. Keep on gaming.